So you can actually start deploying predictive and condition monitoring or continuous monitoring techniques and do that on a smaller scale and start getting what they call immersed. And that's the only way you're going to adopt and adapt to change is you got to get immersed. And so I would just encourage uh, if you feel like you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball, you're always your reactive maintenance, you have an aging asset registry out there, well, let's just get immersed in the new technology. Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host. And today I have the pleasure of having Greg Perry with me in the studio. Hi, Greg. How are you today? How are you doing, Des? Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to catch up with you. Now, Greg, you are the Senior Capacity Assurance Consultant with Excelix, uh, also known as Fluke Digital Systems. And I'd like to get into a bit of detail around uh, what that role actually is and to talk with you about what uh, Excelix and Fluke Digital Systems are. But before we do that, just a little insight into yourself personally, I guess. You know, where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? And uh, what's your academic and career path like? All right. Awesome. So I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. All right. So born and raised in Georgia. So I'm a Southern high tech redneck. How's that? So, back in the day, you know, all seriousness, you know, so you go through, you know, high school, you don't know what the hell you're going to be. Right. So you know, what are we going to be? What am I going to do? You know, so your counselor's trying to you know guide you. And, and uh, so I actually took two years of preparing for myself to be a pharmacist. Imagine that. Right. So, uh, well, that didn't pan out. So anyway, uh, I played football, got injured, had to rebuild my knee. Um, still need to put myself through college. So the only good thing I can actually do was uh, hit a little white ball around. So I actually went to college on a golf scholarship. Imagine that. So I did a four-year degree in electronics technology. All right. So I became one of those nice little basement nerds that uh, was building all kinds of stuff, tearing apart vacuum cleaners and trying to figure out how to make them better and and, uh, you know, just messing around with electronics. I was also a musician, so I was doing Frankenstein guitars and making my own amps and tweaking amps. And so I got uh, interested in, in electronics technology. Of course, that was what my school was in, my degree was in. And But there was no future in, you know, doing, you know, rebuilding vacuum cleaners. So I said, you know, what can I do? So I went and became a uh, biomed technician oh, wow. fixing medical equipment. Yep. And so that was my introduction to that. And that particular field was growing at the time from an IT perspective and not just somebody that can uh, sit at a workbench and actually be able to run an oscilloscope and and run a soldering iron and uh, handle with medical equipment and recalibrate medical equipment. And that was my introduction to Fluke early, early on because we used Fluke tools to help calibrate our, our medical equipment. Next thing I know, I uh, got a little tired of doing that, and the CMMS software company that I was using at the time dangled a carrot in front of my face and said, how would you like to come and implement our CMMS, which is what I was using at the time, in a 200-bed uh, hospital, and said, why don't you like, go do this you know, East Coast, West Coast? So, eh, well, I bit the carrot. I took it. I did it. And next thing I know... I'm ready to move over into industry just out of healthcare. So I became a maintenance reliability consultant. I got my toe, you know, put into that pond in that water. And long story short, uh, e-mate came calling and said, well, how'd you like to do what you used to do 
uh, I married up with maintenance for life. And I'm like, really? So I'm still traveling. Yeah, we're sorry. You still have to be a traveler. So, okay, well, that got me into eMaint and uh, implementing eMaint CMMS software, but this time with a maintenance reliability bin, not just e- implementing a CMMS. And next thing I know, Fluke came and said, we'd like to buy you. So Fluke bought eMate. And so here you are, full circle, started my career using Fluke tools, and now here I am working for Fluke. Wow, I love that story. And by CMS, you mean the computerized maintenance um, software that uh, keeps track of all the uh, infrastructure and plot and gear and so forth that you're monitoring, right? That must have been an interesting journey, shifting from being a customer to the vendor at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it was, it's a well-adjusted pathway. I think we were talking earlier, you're still you're in a hotel room today, and thanks for doing the call from there, but you're still on the road, so you, your frequent flyer points are probably still racketing up there. Let's talk about, uh, so your role, you're the Senior Capacity Assurance Consultant uh, inside Excelix. Let's just get a bit of insight into kind of what that role actually is. For folk who may not uh, fully comprehend what that actual role is, what does a Capacity Assurance Consultant do, and, and where does it fit into the whole Fluke Digital Systems and Excelix uh, world? So basically, let, you know, I gave you the abridged version of my life, you know, you know where I went and, and uh, how I got to be where I'm at. So let's slow down a little bit. On my journey, you know, I've become uh, two things. I'm a certified reliability leader, and I'm also a certified maintenance reliability professional with SMRP. And it's a journey, right? So the, the reliability journey is not a destination. And so... What we came to realize in all these years is maintenance is, is a negative word. Maintenance is not seen in a positive light. It's just the cost of doing business, and, and it's the reason why maintenance is in the basement. Actually, you know, that's not the right way of, of, of looking at it from an asset management point of view. Okay, so we're talking about you know, managing assets uh, across the enterprise. And, and we're also talking about having multi-departmental disciplines within the organization that are working in tandem and in sync with asset management. If you think about asset management, there's no word maintenance in there. And so with dropping maintenance reliability consultant is what I've been for a number of years. Really what we want to do is we want to rephrase that and we want to reintroduce that. So we're not just taking it and painting it a new color. You know, it actually has substance underneath it and it's a new movement. So with capacity assurance, what we're doing there, we're saying, well, in order from your asset management perspective, what are we doing soup the nuts to maintain and to assure capacity? So it's a lot more involved than just a CMMS software, and it's a lot more involved than just turning a wrench, and it's a lot more involved than uh, just doing PMs. Right. All right, so uh, the, capa- the capacity assurance piece is saying, look, it's not maintenance reliability because maintenance is not married to reliability and reliability is not married to maintenance. They just don't what they call pigeonhole it, right? So let's go to capacity assurance and let's actually make that fit what today's messaging is. And that's a segue to Excelix. So with Fluke, in my role as a capacity assurance consultant, my job is to work with our clients and my job is to work with industry my job is to go out and actually deliver two types of solutions to you that's holistic. It's going to be both from the software side and from the hardware side, but there's actually three sides to it. There's going to be the maintenance reliability side or the, or the best practices side of it all. So there is a foundation to it. So with the capacity 
assurance, it's a lot more than just, like I said, turning a wrench or just putting data into a CMMS. I like that. that. That's, it's, it's not... It's like a bit of a stack, really, isn't it? And I guess we're used to that from software systems, but not so much from infrastructure, that when you when you think about the challenge around maintenance and then reliability and capacity management, as you said, often there's been very vertical efforts to focus on each of those. But now what I'm hearing you say is that you're not only interconnecting them, but you're stacking them on top of each other to get a much better outcome. Exactly. It's not siloed. It's not vertical. So we got to look at this and how do we make it horizontal? Okay, so it transcends. I mean, it's, it's, it's the holistic view. It's the holistic picture. And so when we back away and we go, well, maintenance, well, then we're not just talking about maintenance, then are we? No, we're not. We're talking about interdisciplinary. But at the core of all this is one word called data. Right. And so what do you do with data? And so if and if you're going to ask me, Daz, and I know you are, so what makes Luke with Excelix framework different than anything else that's out there in the industry? And I'll go ahead and tell you very, very quickly, it's the only framework out there that actually deploys software and hardware. And it's the only framework out there that actually deploys not only a data a uh, collector, but a data generator. Okay. So we're generating data, and we're also collecting data. And I guess the that's the thing that we're used to with Fluke, isn't it? That, um, you know, I, I don't think anybody on this planet's uh, escaped uh, in their life uh, access to a, a little yellow gadget in their hands, or they've seen one either in a lab at college or at work or in the field. And we've often been used to seeing information on, on the little screens within the little LCD screens or some form of readout. But, you know, at the back end now, you're, you're capturing that data, you're aggregating it, you're putting it into a platform where we can now get data, uh, insights and, and, you know, with this historical or real-time or predictive analytics from it. That's right. So we have a term for that, Des, and it's called actionable data. I like that. And so, so actionable data, yeah, actionable data is, is not actionable if you don't know what to do with it. It's not actionable if you don't know where to put it. So like I tell uh, a lot of our clients that are out there just putting in a CMMS system, and, and they think that they're installing reliability. So I'm going to download reliability, and I'm going to install reliability, and I'm going to actually use reliability every day, but it's called a CMMS or it's an EAM system, and they're only fooling themselves. No, it's not. That's a tool you're using on your liability journey. So what else are you doing? So we're collecting that data. So I, I tell them every day they're collecting buckets of ones and zeros. What are you doing with it? And they'll just look at you and blink like a deer in headlights, and they'll go, well, really nothing. Okay. So all you are is a data collector. Are you generating the right kinds of data? Do you have anything out there that you can use that you have in your tool belt and put into the hands of your maintenance technicians that are actually generating useful, actionable data? And they'll say no. So we, do you have the means to connect to some of these devices out there, some SCADA systems, building automation systems, you know, what have you? Do you have the means to actually talk to the, those machines? Do you have a universal interpreter out there that can speak multiple machine language that can help you gather 
collecting that data. And they'll look at you with a spin, a deer and headlights and blink, blink. No, we don't. We have disparate systems here, and we've got siloed systems there, and we got proprietary systems here, and none of them are talking to each other. Okay, well, don't you think that that's your barriers? That's your bottleneck. That's your problem. So you continue to be vertical. You're not being horizontal. So you got to look at it from a horizontal point of view, and that's Excelix. That's the reason why we say no barriers. Yeah, I remember looking at the detail reading through the whole ecosystem, and I liked the way you've outlined it there because that is the problem. And I think there's a a famous phrase along the lines that – you can't manage something that you don't measure. But the problem we've got now is, uh, you know, in part of my world where I, I, I wear a data science hat in part of my life, we have this classic problem everywhere that people are collecting data thinking they're building data lakes, but invariably they're, they're building data swamps and they don't really know what to do with it all. Uh, so I do like the fact that this whole ecosystem does cradle a grave thing where you, you're not just generating the data by plugging into things and monitoring, but you're also collecting that data and then making it actionable, as you said. And, and is that, and I guess then just to, to revisit it, the Fluke digital systems component of it is really the transformation of, of the business to become a data company. And Excelix, just to clarify, is really the ecosystem, the platform that makes that possible. Is that, that a fair way to summarize it? it? It's a fair way of summarizing, but I go ahead and tell you, we're not going to want to use the, you know, the word ecosystem. We're not going to want to use the word platform either, because either one of those words are going to be in alignment with uh, the, the silo and the verticals. Right. And so to be truly horizontal, we want to call it a framework. And so a framework is something that's living. It will go through these two things that you've got to do. You've got to first learn how to adopt before you can adapt. We need to broaden our, broaden our horizon. And we need to quit coming into this with blinders on. And just because we used to do it this way, and that, you know, that's one of those universal languages or the sentences actually in universal language that just kills you, you know, We've always done it this way. You, know, you got you to quit saying it like that. You got to quit looking at it like that. You know, well, this is just the way it is. Well, no, it's not. So you, you want to go in there and challenge that. So there, here's another way of looking this from, a reli- from people that are in maintenance reliability and, and that actually can speak that language. There's another way that I describe what, Exa- what Excelix does and actually use uh, Nolan and Heat's PF curve, the, the potential failure and functional failure PF Curve. It's a uh, it's a reliability Bible way of talking about why we do do an asset management and maintenance reliability. With the PF curve, what basically that says is uh, you've got potential failure, and what you want to do is find assets and components. You know, you want to identify their failure mode sooner rather than later, so that you can take proactive action, so that you make sure that the asset never functionally fails. When you are only installing a CMMS or you only have data collector, you're only really going to be satisfying half of the PF curve. So you really need to go out there and find, well, where are the data generators at so that we can be talking asset condition management language. And so that we can now start moving further to the left of the PF curve. And now we actually have a solution. And again, that's another horizontal way of looking at it with the PF curve. What holistic solution do you have in place that can transcend the entire PF curve? And I can promise you that Fluke is the only entity out there right now that's looking at it in that light. 
I like that. And I'm glad you corrected me with regard to the uh, framework concept, because that's a significant point for people to take away when they listen today. The concept of a framework is, is significantly different from, as you said, these vertical silos and other things. I did love the fact that you quoted Homer as well. And, and just to recall it, that whole concept of um, maintenance being a a journey and not a destination, because I think that's also something we often look at when people think about standards adoption or or standards compliance. They're looking to tick a series of boxes and get somewhere, and then they stop and take a breath and move on to something else. But this is really just something you ought to build into your DNA, and it's got to be part of your ongoing journey, I guess. And you've given some great insight into how we've gotten to here. There must be a cultural and behavioral shift that underpins all this within the organizations you're working with. I'm sure they're used to your your equipment and systems uh, generating that data, but once they start uh, learning about how to collect that data and aggregate it and then start to build it into this framework where they can get some insights from it, uh, there's probably a cultural and behavioral shift they've got to go through to, to get to that point where they've got to change their mindset. What's that response been like when you're talking to people out in the road, which you are, I believe, uh, every day? How do they react to this? So, you know, are they running at it and loving it, or is there a little bit of sticker shock around it? What's the general reaction like, and and sort of, you know, what sort of epiphanies do they have in that in that process? Well, it's definitely not a sticking point with, with today's aging workforce. So I can go ahead and tell you that right now. So you've got what you got old school, you got new school. So you got old school out there that's retiring. They're they're pat they're passing the torch on. And who are they passing the torch on to? What, so, so the, you know, the millennials. Let's just say the M word, right? So, okay. So, so here, uh, you know, so we've got this uh, wonderful generation that's coming up. You got the millennials, and you also got the Z generation. But um, the millennials, in particular, are, are notorious for what when when it comes to information. Exactly. They want it now. They want it, in, and they're also very, very, uh, you know, keen on lean. You know, this, this generation has been practicing lean principles and they didn't even know it. When you start bringing them into the workforce, they're going to be saying, you know what, this is what we want to do. We want this automated. We want it smarter. We're going to work smarter here, folks. We're going to demand it. We're not going to work harder. But at the same time, we teach them the fundamentals and we say, okay, remember your root. Remember where you come from when it comes to maintenance and reliability. So let's all put this in the right capacity assurance point of view. And so when they come into this world and they start seeing that, oh, so we can, we can do these wonderful things to these aging assets. So there's something we can do with the aging assets that we can't do with the aging workforce. The aging workforce is going to retire and move on. And hopefully that we've captured their tribal knowledge and they've passed it on to the new generation and they've made things better. So with the aging asset, what can we do with that? They don't have that type of legacy. So if you go to these aging assets that are out there already deployed, and trust me, there's just not enough industry money out there for everybody to go out there and just buy new all the time. So we've got all these assets out there that have no voice. They can't communicate to you their health. They, they don't know how. We did not design that into them. And so with this new technology, we're able to now come in here and censor them and give them a voice so they can now communicate. Well, who are they going to be communicating with? You're going to be communicating with the old school? No, they're not. They're going to be communicating with, with the new school. And it's a wonderful, a wonderful movement. So there's not a – I don't witness a pushback. Uh, actually, it's very embraced. But I'll tell you, it's, all, it's going to be met with skepticism, you know, one eyebrow up, one eyebrow down. And, and basically, you know, you'll, you'll show me. And that's exactly the, 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 uh, the workforce is coming in. And they're, they're, they're the show me. 
put it in my hands. I want to feel it. I want to touch it. I want to push the button. I want to see that happen. And so it's actually inspiring. So it, 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 it inspires you to, to, to be on that bleeding edge and to move forward and not just stay back and go, well, you know, we've been doing this like, like this for 40 years. Remember what I said earlier on, what, what's the cancerous phrase? You, you can't sit back and just say, well, it's just because that's the way we've always done it. I do like that idea because, you know, with the greatest respect to the old school, they've, uh, they've done a great job of, of keeping uh, a lot of this, you know, sunk cost in, in very big infrastructure uh, running. But uh, I, I do like the idea that there's a whole new generation coming through, uh, whether it's millennials or Gen Z, with their own quirks because, you know, let's face it, they've effectively grown up during a, a period where they've never not known the internet. They've never not known having a device in their hand. So it's almost like a natural fit that all they're doing is replacing a mobile phone with a, a device with yellow around it. And they are hungry for data. I mean, they've literally grown up with social media, instant messaging. And as you said, they, you know, they want it now instantly. And I think when we think about the buying experience and the shopping pattern that these uh, generations have had, uh, and certainly, you know, I've got teenage kids, so I watch them. Not only do they want it now, they want a celebrity experience. They want to be VIP. And I guess this is one of the big things that you can offer now is that not only can they generate the data, they can collect it, but they can get those insights. And the framework allows them to tailor it to what they're trying to do so they can get the view that they want from the data to make the decisions they need in real time. And I guess that really comes as good news, I imagine, to the clients who have got this massive infrastructure and and environment and plant uh, in place where they can continue to get, I guess, an ROI in some form from expanding its life by making it more intelligent. Absolutely. What does the journey look like uh, for the transition? I mean, you know, imagine I've got a large uh, plant of some form, but let's say I'm a power station. I've got pumps and generators and lots of big things that go hum. Uh, what's the journey look like for them to go from, I guess, the old school to the new school? What are the key steps they go through? Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely adopting. You remember I said you got to adopt before you adapt. So you need to adopt new technology. If you're out there and you're still stubby pencil and, and pad, you, you've got to adopt that, that there's a better way. And if you're out there still doing routes where you're trying to go and take a measurement or, or try to uh, ascertain the asset health in a lagging fashion and not leading fashion, you need to adopt the uh, journey that you know, we can actually do this proactively. And so going out and still doing this, but don't do it all at one time. Using our fundamentals that we know about with reliability-centered maintenance, let's go and actually deploy the fundamentals there and bring in new technology to augment our new reality. And so that's what you've got to adopt, and then you can adapt after that. But uh, it's getting them to understand that that's how you start your journey. Uh, there was a, a fortune cookie a long time ago, Des, and, and, I, and this is a true story. This is a former life of mine. I, w- I was uh, asked to program manage a massive implementation across you know, many hospitals of a CMMS, and I actually you know, thought that was just great. This is, this is a new challenge, but also at the same time, I was scared to death. And so I remember sitting there one evening, and I opened up a fortune cookie, and it, there was something just so profound, and it made sense to me. It said, begin. The rest is easy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And so, really, it just, it just made sense. And, of course, I ate the fortune cookie, and it was good. So when you got a plant and understand, well, how can we do things quicker, faster, better, you know, the whole $6 million man type of thing? Well, let's just go back. Let's deploy some fundamentals. Let's understand reliability center maintenance. 
Let's understand this, the, the, the role of capacity assurance, and let's go in there and identify some quick wins, some low-hanging fruit, and where can we actually deploy first. It used to be that if you looked at predictive maintenance and condition monitoring, that was the pie in the sky. You, you really can't get there unless you have all these other things in place. Well, I'm going to tell you that pie in the sky is coming closer to reality where you can actually reach out and taste it. It's here today. So you can actually start deploying predictive and condition monitoring or continuous monitoring techniques and do that on a smaller scale and start getting what they call immersed. And that's the only way you're going to adopt and adapt to change is you got to get immersed. And so I would just encourage yeah, uh, if you feel like you're 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 behind the eight ball, you're always your reactive maintenance. You have an aging asset registry out there. Well, let's just get immersed in the new technology. So I'll go ahead and tell you right now, it's to be able to give you the tool set so that I can instantly increase your skill set. In other words, if you're able to go out there and take thermography pictures, I want you to be able to use our tools so that you can take thermography pictures using a TI camera and actually be able to deploy that technology and not feel like you have to go off and go to, to some expensive schooling to be able to do that. You can start today. That's what we want. The other thing I liked uh, reading about, uh, you know, whether it's thermal imaging or, or, or just, um, you know, I guess vibrational heat sensing, was that a lot of the things you're building now fit into the natural transition to, I guess, Internet of Things. And that is that there are, you know, if you've got old infrastructure that's been sitting there and, and people, as you said, have been running around with stubby pencils and pads, whether it's a permanent fixture that you're implementing or whether it's a temporary thing where people just want to get some insights. I was reading about uh, what you're doing with some of the new IoT-style sensors where you're putting them in place for as long as required to get some insights and then potentially relocating them elsewhere to to gain further data versus having to roll out full infrastructure that sits there in situ and never moves. Because I really like this idea that if you've got a large plant or a large equipment environment and you want to monitor it all the time and make it smart, that's one thing. But often I think people, uh, and certainly reading this article and some research around it that you published, uh, people might just want to get an insight into something that's running that they don't necessarily want to monitor all the time, but they just want to make sure it's okay and healthy, whether it's vibration or heat or whatever it might be. These little sensors were being uh, deployed for a period of time, maybe it's a month or two, monitor it, get a look at it, and then shift them somewhere else in the factory or the warehouse. And I thought that was pretty neat as well because I imagine a lot of companies have already got big sunk infrastructure. The last thing they want to do is another expensive rollout, but if they can do it in small bite-sized chunks and manage all chunks, then that, that whole, uh, I guess, you know, adopt versus adapt is an easier journey for them as well. Absolutely. So what, you're, what you just keyed on there is called connected reliability. And so getting them to understand that you can deploy connected reliability today and you can start making it work for you. That is how we're leveraging the Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things, Industry 4.0, whatever buzzword, keyword, phrasing you want to call it, 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 that is what's happening. So let's get involved horizontally and let's start some connected reliability, capacity assurance mindsets. There must be a conversation that happens with you regularly where it's one thing to have the existing infrastructure and, and, and you know, there's a, a whole planet of that out there which you're working with currently. But I imagine there's also an interesting conversation to be had about people who come in with greenfields. And I'm always thinking about things like smart city infrastructure and resilient city infrastructure where you know, we've got power plants, we've got sides of roads, we've got you know, all kinds of big uh, plants and equipment in place. 
but there's a lot of activity around the world now building new towns, new cities, and we're trying to make them smarter. I imagine you're having some interesting conversations with people who are starting from Greenfield as well and saying, well, where do we put this in from day one? What's the best way to deploy this and integrate and, and not just adopt it? But you know, how do we go through this adaption phase from day one? Well, I can tell you, when you start talking Greenfield and we start talking about putting a new asset infrastructure, all right, now, now you're actually talking about something that uh, is to the left of the PAF curve, buying and implementation stages. So that's precision maintenance realm. So if we can, you know, if we're going to go out there and design, we're going to design fit for purpose, and we're going to install fit for purpose correctly. And so what we want to do is we want to put inherent reliability in place so that we can minimally manage it. You know, that, that's where your true ROI is. That's where, that's where your low-maintenance dollars are coming into play. So when you've got a greenfield environment like that, absolutely. You're going to want to design out faults, and you want to design in reliability, inherent reliability. And so if you're putting in new censored assets, you're putting in where they actually can start giving you actionable data, great. That's where you want to be to begin with, yeah. and it's a dream too. And I'm saying it's happening. It's going to happen more and more. I mean, yes, it is. We got aging infrastructure; it's going to be replaced with with new infrastructure. But we got to make sure that we embrace that side of inherent reliability and understand that. And so we want to make sure that the precision maintenance is happening before we even start maintaining the asset. There's a lot of parallels to be drawn with another industry group that I spend a lot of time working with in the telecoms, and that is that they're monitoring their infrastructure all the time. They're monitoring real time, and they've gone through a fairly similar transition where they've essentially cloudified their infrastructure, so it's all software-defined. They're collecting data in real time. And it seems to me that uh, what you're doing around, uh, I guess, with Excelix and the framework around that and, and the whole transition to Fluke Digital Systems is now that not only can you help people do smarter and, and better things with their existing infrastructure, but people are going to look at what's new. I, you know, I can see things like you know, uh, airplanes and ships and transport and logistics building this capability into it so that it's not even just the big plant. You know, I can imagine a scenario where the Fluke Digital Systems uh, solution is going to be monitoring my car when it drives around, and it's just going to be built into it so that at some point in time, someone who's doing the maintenance and warranty and insurance on my car will be able to collect all that in real time and even tell me that I should be pulling out and putting more oil in it. So the utopia there that you're talking about, Des, is what we call prescriptive maintenance. Prescriptive maintenance has been around since the 60s, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's been around. It's as old as RCM. So what prescriptive maintenance has been in the old school days is, okay, so we, we know from tribal knowledge what to do and what not to do, and we know that uh, uh, the asset is actually telling us this and telling us that. But basically with the old school prescriptive maintenance, the difference, though, is between new school prescriptive maintenance on the dawn of uh, analytics, and that's where we're at today, is the difference was is we were telling the assets when we're going to be maintaining them. We were telling the assets what frequency we're in, what periodicity, and when this is going to happen. So what we want is we want the assets now to tell us. That's where we cross over, and that's what we want. So if you've got a greenfield, you've got a new plant, and you're putting that, it's exactly what I mean by designing in reliability, designing in inherent reliability. And so uh, if we can give these assets a voice out there, if we can give them a way to communicate their health to us, the, the next evolution and, and the next uh, echelon that we're going to want to design ourselves into 
is so that we can leverage that prescriptive analytics type of maintenance to where the asset is telling us when. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't know, and I don't like to advertise for others, but I can tell you, uh, Super Bowl actually had, during the last Super Bowl here in the States, and we're famous for our commercials during the Super Bowl, right? And so one of the uh, commercials was, was actually uh, IBM Watson. And basically what it was was you had this guy showing up, a maintenance guy showing up at the security desk down in this big high-rise building. And he's checking in, and he's like, okay, so what are you here for? I'm here to fix your elevator. Uh, uh, so they go back to their pad, and they're looking. They go, well, I don't where we scheduled any maintenance with you today, so I don't know why you're here. Who contacted you to come and fix the elevator? And the repairman points at the elevator and says he did. The doors are open, and inside there you see IBM Watson. <laughs> I like that. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, uh, obviously the Excelix framework and, and all the tools you have around that uh, are one part of the puzzle. But also, you know, when we think about sunk cost and sunk infrastructure from a plant and equipment and environment point of view, that's also the case in business systems, whether you've got, you know, smart CRMs or business intelligence platforms or analytics platforms. And so, in many ways, I guess you've got to integrate into other tools and systems. And so whether it's IBM's Watson or any other tool around the place, you know, this data is going to move in and out of different systems and, and provide different insights, whether it's, uh, you know, asset management and an enterprise resource planning platform or uh, the existing, uh, I guess, predictive work that they're doing around business intelligence that they're now going to move in and out. I imagine the, the journey goes the other way as well. So if you're putting new uh, infrastructure in place and it's inside your enterprise resource planning, that will feed into the Excelix platform to be able to help the system tell you when it needs some love. Absolutely. So you talked about you would love for your car to be able to tell you when it needs maintenance. Well, that's here today. I'm, I'm, I'm not – that is – the capabilities are here today. And that's another good example of, of trying to explain uh, Internet of Things and how all that comes together and, well, what, and how does that key in with maintenance. Well, imagine you getting an email about a schedule for you to go and take your car to get your oil changed. In other words, it's telling you, okay, Thursday at 2 o'clock, I've scheduled for you to drop the car off over at this dealership. And you're looking at it going, oh, okay, that's cool. How did it know that I was available? Oh, we've already checked your schedule. We know you're available, but we've already scheduled this appointment for you to get the oil changed in the car. I like that, yeah. So the, the, the car is telling you when to do and what to do. That's the prescriptive side from the analytics point of view. That's the utopia. That's where you want to go. That's called actionable data at, at its fullest example. That gets people excited when you start going, well, that, is that a reality? It's only a reality if, I work, if we work our way towards that. Right. You know, that, that's, so what is it? You know, a dream is a dream, but as soon as you actually have a goal and put some plans in place, it's no longer a dream. Yeah, I like that. And I imagine there's an upside uh, that a lot of people haven't thought about. And, you know, when I was reading through this, I've done a lot of work around power and utilities and, and, and certainly in large federal government infrastructure and transport logistics, where one of the key things we worry about is number of days since incident and, and, and whether it's a, an incident of someone's lost a hand or a leg or, or unfortunately lost a life. And in many companies, they have a great big chalkboard, as it were, at the front of the desk, and they have a sign saying X number of days since last incident. And so I, I see this thing where, you know, on one side, we think about lower costs and saving time and increasing productivity and better ROI. 
But the other side of things is, I guess, you know, some of this equipment, when it's running better and it's running safer and it's running on the right temperature at the right frequency, uh, this is a safer place for people to live and work and be. If the car is maintained properly, it's not going to have as many accidents. And so I guess one of the big things that jumps out at me is we're actually building a safer world in many ways because things aren't going to blow up, they aren't going to overheat. Uh, bolts aren't going to fly out of machines and people lose an eye. So we're not only getting a technology benefit from the infrastructure, a, a commercial benefit from the dollars and times and resource management, but it's also going to build a better world from a safety point of view, isn't it? Absolutely. And, there, and there's a phraseology there. So goes safety, so goes reliability. They're connected. Can't have one without the other. No, exactly. They are literally bulge of the hip. So I love the detail you've given us on, on both your background and your role and career path and also some insights into what Fluke Digital Systems and Excelix does and the framework. One of the things I'd love to do before we wrap up, I'd love to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a moment because I'd, I'd love to get some insight from you given that you are literally on the bleeding edge, if you'll pardon the pun, of this technology, of this, this transformation around the, the plant equipment and systems and what people are doing with it in their business. Where are we going in the next three to five years? If you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball for a couple of seconds, you know, hand on heart, you know, where would you like it to be going? Where would you like it? You know, what big changes in the world do you see coming about as a result of what you're doing? When I talked about prescriptive maintenance and, and being able to have where the asset is telling you when to work on it, you know, that, that's the crystal ball for me in what I do. To, to get to the day where you come to work with your work already prescribed, everything's already lined out, everything is, is reserved, your parts are on hand, parts are reserved, your tools are ready, the assets available, you know where you're going. You have this informational set that's, that you put on your, your glasses, and you actually use augmented reality, all right, AR, and you're looking into artificial intelligence, and you're actually being able to go in there and actually work on a machine virtually. That, to me, is the crystal ball. If we can get to that point, uh, we, we're, the only thing that we're going to do next uh, is we're going to start traveling to stars. <laughs> I like that. Welcome That's... to Star Trek. Well, it's funny you should say that because I'm a, I'm a lifetime proponent of the Star Trek uh, economy, and that is that where we stop worrying about paying people money uh, because money becomes irrelevant. And, and life in general is, is such that, as you said, you know, systems run themselves and we, we effectively do the work that's required. But then you've got to ask yourself the question, well, what do you do in between? Well, you, you kind of, as you alluded to, you live that Star Trek economy where we don't need to get paid a salary because we're adding value to the system. And so then the question is, well, you know, what do you do? And I love that idea of going to the stars. Greg, thank you so much for some fantastic insight and background on yourself personally. Um, loved hearing uh, some of the anecdotal background of what your role as capacity assurance consultant or senior capacity assurance consultant, I should say, at Excelix and Fluke Digital Systems in, uh, involves and some really fantastic insight into kind of what it is. And I, I love the fact that you've clarified that it's a framework. I think that's a really important takeaway. And I love the view that we're going to transition from plant and equipment that we've been babysitting to it's going to look after itself and almost babysit us to in many ways. And I did love your comment that it's effectively here with cars now. And I guess in many ways, the IoT with things like smartphones and so forth already tell us they need to upgrade and patch. And so when we've got power systems and uh, the big utility infrastructure doing that, that's a nirvana. Um, Greg, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. And thank you so much for so many fantastic insights. Hey, thank you, Daz. Appreciate it.